Barton Kane, revolutionizing gouged, shaped, and profiled bassoon cane with precision, consistency, and love since 2012. Leave the cane processing to them. Free up time to practice, take a romantic dinner cruise, or cuddle on the couch with your cat on a rainy day and listen to the Double Read Dish podcast. Enter coupon code Double Read Dish Rocks My World for free shipping on your next Barton Kane order. Visit www.bartonkane.com. Edmund Nielsen Woodwinds has been serving the Double Read community for 70 years. Nielsen sells a wide variety of oboe, oboe de mor, English horn, bassoon, and contrabassoon reeds and cane, as well as reed-making accessories, reed cases, and lafrex. And of course, they have the classic Nielsen wedge knife, which features a double hollow ground and choice of handle size. In addition, they have many other knives available. Nielsen has long been known for their large heckle bassoon bocal inventory. Fill out their online trial form to find the perfect heckle bocal for you. For all your double read accessory needs, Nielsen is ready to help you. Hi, I'm Galit Kaunitz. And I'm Jackie Wilson. And you're listening to Double Read Dish, a podcast for oboists, bassoonists, and the people who love them. believe we're in two different time zones i almost said timelines i know it's time for you to eat dinner almost no we eat dinner super late oh well yeah i wake up at five so it would be time for <laughs> me to eat dinner if i was hanging out with you and becky <laughs> if you were hanging out with me and becky we would eat dinner number one now and then we would eat dinner number two closer to eight o'clock because 8.30 is when my biological clock tells me it's time to get ready for bed. We'd be like hobbits, double yeah. It's <laughs> but two dinners. What about second dinner? You know what's even better than two dinners is breakfast and then a breakfast nap. Oh. The, the old wake up, have your coffee, have your breakfast, and then take a nap is my favorite thing. See, I have all my like go-go juice in the morning. And so I tend to really slow down and love to take time for myself in the early afternoon. That's when I'll like hit a wall and be like, I need a nap. I need to read a book, watch a show, take a bubble bath. So I, <laughs> I'm a fan of the afternoon nap more than the morning nap, but I'm pro-nap. I'm also a pro-nap. Whatever it looks like. <laughs> So we are trying to think of ways to stay pumped up, to stay excited, to stay invigorated. Positive, optimistic. Yep. So I want to know what's been making you happy lately. Well, hmm. If I'm just thinking of today, the things that are making me happy. Um, I just got done listening all the way through. Um, he's been releasing individual videos, but um, Connor Chi, who is a Navajo pianist, has been doing this project of like short, essentially music videos, but it's for solo piano called Scenes from Dineta. Stellar. It's um, his original compositions 
inspired by aspects of his Navajo culture. But then he is making these like amazing high quality video accompaniments from around the Navajo nation. So like an auntie making fry bread and then he's doing piano to it or um, a weaver making a traditional Navajo blanket or sheep or whatever. And so it's this great visual to go along with this just beautiful music. It makes you smile. And uh, I watched all the way back through that because I watched the individual videos as they came out, but it's really conceived of as a whole. And then it's been accepted for several like film festivals. It's super oh my cool. God, like how we've talked about. Oh, for you know, if we're lucky, COVID will make us kind of like more creative and mm-hmm. think outside the box. And this is kind of the epitome of like what could that be? The coolest thing I could conceive of is this project of Connor's. We can link to it in the show notes. Yes, that's what I was listening to today, and that's what I'm psyched about today that's amazing anything else what about you well mine is not nearly so epic i've been listening to the uh dvorak slavonic dances a lot (laughs) i have very fond memories of this piece because when i was in high school i think i had like a the flu or i had this bad ear infection or something and i remember having a fever dream and i was listening to the Slavonic dances and it was like playing a very big part in my dream and I remember thinking that they were like amazing but also endless it was like never ending it was like the Slavonic dances but it felt like they went on and on and on well some people would say they do (laughs) so I have a record player and I have uh like an actual record of the Slavonic dances and so that's what's been in my record player and I've been putting it on in the mornings because I'm trying not to watch a ton of TV. I have been watching chiropractor videos on YouTube. You know what is also amazing is watching and this is not like massage or anything but yes massage. Massage yes. If if it's all these like tutorials for like massage therapists. Does it make you so relaxed? And you just feel your body relaxing as if you're the one getting the massage. Yeah. uh, Yes. Chiropractic videos, massage videos, (laughs) cosign, like super cosign. Fever dream Slavonic dances. Yes. But you know what? I also want to shout out and call me basic if you all want. I will. I've been loving the new Taylor Swift album, Folklore. Yay! I don't know. The the toned downness of it, the unpluggedness of it. I really like Mm -hmm. her lyrical sense and the way she uses text. And I find myself just going back to that over and over and over. If I'm in the car, that's what I turn on. But I highly recommend that. Well, that's good. I'm going to copy my podcast hero Garrett McQueen from the Triloquy podcast and say that my favorite composer is Beyonce. So (laughs) (laughs) I've been listening to a lot of Triloquy podcasts too. That's been really awesome as well. I, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm not in the mood to listen to music. Isn't that strange? 
I have to agree. Like maybe it's because we spend our whole lives making and assessing and thinking about music professionally. That mm-hmm. I pretty much only listen to music if I'm on like working out or doing mm-hmm. something athletic mm-hmm. where I need to get lost in the beat. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I agree. I prefer either listening to a podcast or watching a show on like Hulu or Netflix or something. Mm-hmm. I don't tend to actually consume a lot of music. It's true. Oh, you know what? Oh, since this dish is just like us shouting out our favorite things. Yeah. I'm re some things I'm re-consuming because they're just so good. I couldn't only consume them once. Mm-hmm. I am currently rereading Americana. Mamanda Nagote Adiche. That was such a good book. I know. I'm actually re rereading your copy that you let me borrow. Oh my god, is that where it is? She let me borrow it eight years ago. Yeah. So once I'm done rereading it, you can have a bag. Uh, it's fine at this point. You can keep it. Consider it a gift. And then I'm also, for those of you who like true crime. Me. The podcast Cold, which is yes. like super deep dive. It's like over 20 hours of reporting mm-hmm. or something into the disappearance of Susan Cox Powell. And I listened to it, loved it. And then I made Chris listen to it. And so now he's been talking to me about it because he's listening to it. Oh my God, he's finally listening to it. And so I'm like, I want to go back and listen to that. So I'm restarting (laughs) cold. (laughs) And that is a very, very exciting podcast or I guess intriguing I don't know with with tragic stuff like that you don't want to ensconce it in like yeah it's, it's not good. like exciting yeah it's but good it's reporting. well produced yes and the story of it is absolutely bananas yeah it's very um captivating but of course in a like, terrible way true crime affects real people so we don't want to be like right cavalier about it right also, this is the start of spooky season, so I have been listening to Spooked. Snap Judgment presents Spooked. It's all these people telling their own true creepy stories of things that have happened to them. It's like ghost stories from your regular person in their own words. This has morphed from my favorite things to like Halloween's coming here. Halloween! Media for you to- <laughs> is anybody doing? Doing like bassoonoween concerts? I don't know. We'll have to see because performing looks so different, you know? I know. I wish we did. We could do like a double redish spooky Halloween something. A costume contest? A costume contest. And then there's a giveaway. We just decided yes. it here on the podcast. <laughs> so we're going to do a giveaway. The prize yeah. is TBD. Yeah, we don't know yet. Okay, so this dish has been a little wandering, I'm just going to say, but I feel like we got to a good place. <laughs> Specializing in the finest assortment of oboes, clarinets, bassoons, and their accessories, RDG Woodwinds serves musicians from around the world. Their employees are all professional musicians who have a deep knowledge of the products they sell. RDG's repair shop has an international reputation with a combined 
100 plus years of experience among the five repair technicians. Plain and simple, RDG provides excellent products and fabulous customer service. Visit them at rdgwoodwinds.com. They look forward to working with you. Chemical City Double Reeds is a full-service double reed shop specializing in the sale of instruments, cane, accessories, and sheet music. Double Reed Dish listeners can enjoy free shipping with code DRDISH, all caps, no spaces. Visit them in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or online at chemicalcityreads.com. We are so excited to be talking to Ria Koyama, Principal Bassoon with the Deutsche Kammerphilharmonie Bremen and world famous bassoon soloist. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. <laughs> Could you start by telling us how you began playing the bassoon? I was nine years old. In, actually, when I was three, I wanted to become a violinist went to my father and requested the violin, but he was absolutely against me playing violin because violin costs a lot. <laughs> if I become a professional musician, and it's also really difficult to become an orchestra musician to get a job. So uh, he was completely against. And with six years old, I wanted to become a flutist. And then he said, oh, flute, I can't teach you. And this is not best best um, instrument to me. So I have tried with nine years old with the bassoon and I was always listening to his practicing and when he was playing concerts, I was always always there and listening, listening very happily to his playing. So I have decided to play the bassoon and he was really, really happy that I have finally decided for bassoon. And I still remember that was uh, 3rd of March in 2010 or something. And he somehow managed to bring a bassoon home. And next morning when I woke up, there was a bassoon in our living room. And I could straight uh, start with the bassoon straight afterwards. Yeah, That's amazing. Yeah. Can you talk to us about um, your training on the bassoon, your education, and when you started to think, I want to be a professional musician, I think this is what I want to do with my life. Mm. Uh, this question I never had. It's really funny um, because of my parents, they were both professional musicians. My mom is a singer and my father is a bassoonist. So this question never came up. I was quite sure that I'm going to become a musician, professional musician. And first I have started to practice only with reeds and then plus vocal. And, and I got every week one part of the bassoon added. So <laughs> that's uh, after five, <laughs> six weeks was the bassoon kind of completely. And my hands were too, too small to hold the bassoon. So that was a good preparation to start the bassoon. I have studied with my father. Uh, I went to a junior class at the university where my father is teaching. That's in south of Germany, in Trossingen. And I was 14 when I get in and studied my bachelor's there. 
and also uh, we say it concert examen. This is what you study after masters. So this kind of uh, studies I've finished with him. And I also studied with Doug Jensen in Munich for three semesters. And I unfortunately had to, to stop studying. Even I really, really loved studying with him because I got the job in Bremen. So I couldn't manage to get lessons in Munich. But I am still learning a lot what he told me about playing the synth. Amazing. I would love to hear about your audition process, winning that first job at such a young age. It was really nice experience to me. I did only three auditions in my life before winning the um, position now. Uh, I have a very, very good friend in Bremen and I was visiting her quite often in the summer vacation and she once told me oh Ria do you know about the orchestra and I completely didn't know about the orchestra unfortunately and he, she said I, I will talk to the principal person player of Deutsche Kammerphilharmonie if he needs any substitute and I was like okay I don't know about the orchestra but it sounds great <laughs> and one day uh, the principal person player Ingenio is a Spanish guy fantastic fantastic person player i really admire he called me once oh, yeah, I, we don't know each other but do you want to play a project in our orchestra and then i had some free time so of course i accepted and first i came here it was like our friends that um or the the feeling of being in this orchestra was so natural and i didn't have to be nervous of course, I was a little bit nervous because I haven't played much orchestra works before, but not because of people. And it was like a little family after the project already. And the next time when he called me, I, of course, accepted again for another project. And in this project, uh, some of the orchestra musicians told me that they are planning to have an audition for principal Vassini or 50% or just um, just for a year because my colleague Eugenio wanted to have some some free time and he wanted to reduce reduce so and then I uh, was told to, from the musicians that they are going to have an audition but unfortunately the audition date was not possible for me to 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 join so uh, after I told to the orchestra that I'm not able to or to join the audition, they told me, oh, yeah, then just play Viva Concerto, a little bit of Mozart and some excerpts you like. You just choose whatever you want. You just play for us 30 minutes and we will record it or uh, we will consider you're playing in the real audition and we will let you know two weeks later how we have decided. So I just spontaneously played some works for them. It was really funny feeling. I was not nervous at all because I didn't have anybody except me <laughs> preparing Mozart and Weber concerto in the warming up room. So uh, it was so, so nice feeling. And then two weeks after I was in Japan and I have received a phone call from the orchestra that I have got the job. 
and that was actually a contract for a year and this has been uh, extended for another year and then after two years I got the real job because he has finally decided to stay with 50% for his rest of the orchestra life. <laughs> so that's the story of me getting into this orchestra. <laughs> that sounds like such a natural and easy and fortuitous transition. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like, like the best opportunities happen that way? Yeah, indeed. It's just yeah. kind of <laughs> is meant to be. And if it happens, then it, it mm. happens. Yeah, it is. The orchestra is really like a family. I talk about my private things to everyone and with everyone. And we are taking care of each other. And especially in this crisis, it's helped me a lot being, having these people in Berman. In your role as principal bassoonist, uh, what have you learned doing this job about uh, what it takes to be a great principal bassoonist? What advice do you have for people about how to be in this role successfully? Mm. I'm actually thinking very often about that. It is a balance of um, showing myself, but also being respectful to other musicians. There are two roles. Um, sometimes one has a big solo and other one has to accompany and the best would be everyone should be able to play in both roles so like in the orchestra sometimes you have a big solo and you need to be a big soloist in that moment but maybe 10 seconds after I also have to be really quiet to make some space for the others so it's a question of a balance uh, when is my time and when it's the time for others this is uh, also when i criticize someone or when someone is criticizing me how uh, with what kind of words i use or how do i speak to the others how can i be more respectful to the others this is more a lesson of for human being or for yeah for my personality yeah not about playing but more like for my personal yeah, my personality. Mm -hmm. When you listen to auditions on the other side of the of the table, <laughs> what is it to you in a candidate? What do you value in uh, a successful candidate that you would like to hire to play with you in your orchestra? The most thing where I get inspired is when people are showing joy of making music and enthusiastic playing because this can we cannot learn it it's a question you have it or you don't have it technical things you can practice and you can make it better but this enthusiasm is not possible to learn so it's maybe one of the import, most important thing i i listen to the candidates it's beautiful and it's very fitting. I became familiar with your playing on YouTube, watching you <laughs> as a concerto soloist, and you are so dynamic and engaging as a performer. 
when you approach performing a concerto or a recital as a soloist, is that different from your mindset as an orchestral audition? And how do you prepare to be in that role as the star? Is that any different from being an orchestral musician? When I play solo, I don't care much about the others. I try to make my music and of course it's always a dialogue between the orchestra and me but I'm trying to show what I want to do. This I also have learned when I got into the orchestra. It is really hard if to accompany someone if the person doesn't know much how to make music or how to build the music. So it's much easier you can uh, understand what the soloist wants. So I try to imagine I can I can do whatever I want and and then we can fix it afterwards if I have to um, to reduce my freedom. This is no problem, but first I show my world and then we will fix it somehow. Uh, in the orchestra is I always care that everything stays together, everything's is harmonic and also between the colleagues, the balance should be fine. So it's more like control, but solo is more like ah, freedom. <laughs> How does memorization play a role in your preparation for these uh, solo opportunities? Is that something that you enjoy doing? Is it something that you had to work hard at? You mean um, playing by heart? Uh-huh. Oh, it's... <laughs> I never liked it, but <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes it has to be in competition. I had to memorize quite many things. When I'm on stage, I was always freaking out because I was uh, nervous that I'm going to forget a line or next phrase. What note was the next phrase, which is the starting note. And if I think more and more, I get crazy so I was each time I was very happy when I have done uh, the concert or the, com the competition and uh, thought never again uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah I, it's it's not my it's not my favorite way of playing on stage because it needs more energy and sometimes it's disturbing me being free and to tell some story to the audience. Even there is a no stance between me and audience. It's so crazy, but somehow, sometimes it makes me uh, nervous, and which is not, shouldn't be like that. Yeah. Do you typically deal with nerves or performance anxiety? Is that something that you've had to learn to deal with over the course of your career? Um, I think I'm not really nervous in the concert since I have done a lot of house concerts. I got a prize in 2012 in Germany. Uh, after winning the competition, I got 30 or 40 concert opportunities from German Music Society. And they have organized um, 40 house concerts. So you're really playing in front of people from in front of the audience like with one meter distance and they 
really can look into your face and <laughs> and it, they even could touch me if they want so uh like this kind of concerts made me more and more relaxing and more happy to play for people and it's not i could learn that i'm not playing for jury or for anybody who is judging me or i'm telling some musical stories to people it's like talking to them and um, and also in this opportunity i've learned how to talk to the audience i really loved in the end after 40 concerts to talk in the concert in the concert and talk about bassoon to talk about me talk about peace this was so nice experience for me it sounds like exposure therapy. <laughs> it's like if you're afraid of flying, then they just put you on 40 planes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. In that vein, I would love to hear about your preparation for these big concerts. How do you approach your practice so that you don't feel as nervous uh in the execution of the concert mm -hmm. well and maybe um, not to interrupt mm -hmm. but you've been so successful in competition that mm -hmm. i'd love to hear about uh competition preparation mm -hmm. as well in terms of that yeah i can also tell you how i prepared in munich it was quite crazy that was a very hot summer 2013 maybe and I have started practicing maybe half a year before the competition was started and tried to um, organize all the pieces I have never played and also pieces I have played before, but tried to be finished with my, my preparation three weeks, no, three months before competition. And I tried to make reads that they were ready three months before the competition. And then to focus on the work, oh, what is the name? Commissioned work. Yes, commissioned work. Mm -hmm. uh, because that was quite hard. Uh, so that was the process uh, for me in Munich. But generally, I tried to make the time before the competition much harder than the competition itself. That I make... A concert or I give a concert maybe one week before the competition starts with all the program I have to play that I that I have played everything through in front of the audience if possible I also invited people who made me especially nervous friends or like teachers and who really know about music that so it may I I try to make the most nervous try to uh call people who made me the most um, frightening and then the, the week between after uh, the week in between I tried to fix some little things final check with my pieces and then went to the competition so the competition itself was hard but I usually have a lot of other worries like you have to be there for interviews i have to be there for uh, the tv conversation or whatever and then i don't have much time to care about myself so i try to do everything before so that i only go and play without any stress it sounds like 
your preparation is um, extremely disciplined, but you're also willing to make yourself vulnerable and you're courageous in bringing people in whose opinions that you care about. Do you find those qualities in musicians who are at the top of the field, do you find those qualities present among many of your colleagues, that willingness to make yourself vulnerable and that willingness to go um, the extra mile in the discipline and the preparation? I'm just like looking at the number of people who audition compared to the number of people who win or place in your opinion what do you think makes the difference i find it it's more like a luck you have to be lucky and i could also have a really bad day and i could also have played like a shit on first day or second day it's nobody knows nobody knows but the thing is you try always your best if I always tried my best, then maybe 70% of my best could be delivered in the competition. So nobody's wishing getting a third prize. Everyone is wishing to get a first prize. So it's like, it's like this kind of uh, mindsetting that you try, you always try to get the first prize, but in the end you get the second prize, but you're still happy that you got something. So, uh, but if I only try to get through the first round, I would never get a first prize. And this mindsetting changes the preparation before the competition, I think. It's a lot of luck. <laughs> so we told our listeners that we were going to be interviewing you and we had many excited bassoonists who had okay. questions that they wanted us to ask. So Elizabeth Crawford, who is a uh, professor here in the United States in Idaho, um, says you're one of her favorite wow. performers. <laughs> She's super excited to hear this. Um, and she wants to know about your read making style and specifically how your read making style relates to your concept of sound. Um, I'm using quite a narrow shaper. It's number five of uh, Georg Krieger. And not so many people are using this number five, but I don't want to sound around me loud. I want to sound very big outside the hall. I mean, outside the stage. So um, this is just my <laughs> um, image of making sounds that if here if if I'm playing on my quite narrow reed that it can it has more direction to the to the audience that it can be more resonating outside there. Um, my reeds are not hard at all. In the first day when I play my reeds, the C sharp, you probably know the C sharp is going quite low. If the reed is too soft, um, these kind of reeds I, I love. And after two days, three days, if I play on the same reed, being patient, <laughs> not getting angry with the reed. And then the reed is getting a little stronger. And then I try to fix them to make the reed speaking better or whatever. But um, yeah, my reeds are quite soft. 
because I don't like pushing and playing against a lot of uh, what is the word in English? Resistance, uh, maybe? Resistance, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I don't like to play uh, with too much resistance. Uh, so, yeah, very light reads with quite narrow shaper. In the U.S., pretty much everyone makes reads mm -hmm. for themselves. But through the podcast, we've spoken to several European players who uh, purchase reads. And you've mentioned several times that you make your own reads. Are you unique in Europe in the decision to make your own reads? And uh, why is that important for you to to do? My friends around me, they are also making their reads for themselves. Friends who is playing quite a long time in the orchestra, I know a couple of people who are buying their reads. Uh, I don't find it unique that I'm making my reads myself, but um, I love making reads because I know then what I have made, how I have made and how I have to correct them, and what kind of cane I have used. All these information is, are, informations are important to me. And actually, the, the life of a read is longer if I make myself, because I know in this case, after playing one week, the read has changed a little bit, and then I can do something to make the life a little longer. If I, I would buy it, and I don't know what, how the wheat was produced, I might throw it away when it's not working anymore. But now I know how I have to adjust them. So yeah, I, I enjoy it. Sometimes it's, it's, yeah, it makes me crazy trying a lot, but <laughs> <laughs> nothing is speaking, nothing is great at all. So, but that's life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can really. <laughs> Elizabeth also asked, what is your approach to vibrato? Oh, yeah. Good question. I think when I have to play a phrase, I have to play it with my body. It's not I give air and make phrase. It's more like I'm controlling my phrase with my belly somehow. So it comes from the bottom of the body. And vibrato is a little, it's like a makeup. So trying to make a face from the bottom of the, the body is like a beautiful face. And then vibrato is just putting makeup on the face. I love that so much. <laughs> <laughs> and the makeup could be fantastic or the makeup could make even worse. So vibrato is something that could make fantastic music or fantastic phrase, but it some, sometimes can make worse than, <laughs> than the origin. <laughs> so the question is when and what kind of vibrato you play at what, which place? When the phrase is going on and you are approaching to the goal, then you have to use vibratos which are fast and it shouldn't get less in a dynamic of course and the inner feeling is approaching to the goal so it's a different vibrato than 
after approaching the goal, when it getting calm, then it's slower. Or yeah, there are so many types of vibratos. If you vibrate the note at the beginning of the note, or later on, or just the middle, or just the beginning, and then and less, or getting more. So like starting without vibrato and then more more vibrato afterwards. So there are so many types, and it's really interesting trying every type of the vibrato for one one place. Then you can find out. Oh, <laughs> this is not matching to this to this phrase. Okay, next one. <laughs> okay, this one makes more sense. Okay, the third one. No, 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 no. This can't be. <laughs> so like, um, it's always a search, searching for the best combination. And sometimes you you find a unique one, and you find a new version of vibrato which you have never tried before. I love that analogy. Can I steal it in my teaching? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, girl, your foundation does makeup, not match your skin girl. tone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, we had another question about approaches to style and ornamentation and how you go about conveying style and if there are any resources that you've used in your preparation for that. Basically, for Baroque music, I admire one cellist, Christoph Kwang. He's teaching in Basel and he's playing Baroque cello. And what, uh, when I play Baroque music, I'm always thinking about him. How would he play? How would he play this music? Um, he has played uh, Vivaldi sonatas, which we sometimes also play on the scene. And I have listened to his recording day and night when I was teenager. I was listening almost every day, and I loved it. And also, I love playing uh, of cellists a lot. I didn't listen much to bassoonists, a lot to cellists, pianists, violinists. Yeah, this musician has uh, inspired me a lot playing Baroque music. It's Baroque music is for me going crazy, but in style. It's always <laughs> <laughs> so. It's always going to be really crazy in the end, somehow with ornamentation. So the most craziest uh, ornamentation you think about when I have a walk with my dog and go around uh, my house and walking. And I, I suddenly think, oh, this could be, this could be the most amazing ornamentation or whatever. And so it, most of the ornamentation I, I used, um, I got these ideas when I was not practicing without instrument. Yeah, it's, I love going crazy on this Baroque music a lot a lot but it still should be in style this is i can't explain what is in style and each one has a style so nothing is wrong but for me <laughs> go crazy as you can <laughs> and mozart is more like yeah more elegant and never playing never play fortissimo in Mozart concerto or like there are a lot of rules which I have learned 
more and more. I, when I was 16 or 17, I played a, I played a very wide way of Mozart. I still liked it at that time. And now I still like it too, but uh, it has become different after years because I've learned, uh, because I've played a lot of Mozart symphonies and and I thought, okay, in Mozart concerto, this I can't do anymore. This is maybe a little bit, a little bit too, too crazy. And it was more a work of omit my ideas or omit some craziness which the baroque music is the different way the baroque music is quite easy and uh, simple and you have to add the craziness and the, the classical music is how to make it simple more simple and still beautiful so it's uh, two different directions mm-hmm. I love that so I much. I love that. I feel like I, I just got a master class <laughs> in style. <laughs> I'm just going to steal everything that you say. It's just all going in my like teaching <laughs> Do you have a favorite memory from being on the stage in a past performance? Is there something that really sticks out to you as a beautiful experience? Yes. Uh, I have a wind quintet with my friends. Uh, three of them are from South Korea and the home player is from Portugal. And we went to a competition in Copenhagen 2015. And I still remember uh, how fantastic this competition was. Um, we have practiced like crazy, like weeks before we had to play Schoenberg quintet which is a really, really tough piece. Um, always counting, 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 and difficult entrances, um, balance-wise, was also very difficult. And, but this competition, I really enjoyed playing quintet with my dearest friends on stage. We were so nervous, but we have made it. And the feeling... Um, after the competition, being not alone, or also during the competition, being not alone in this competition has made me so happy. And yeah, uh, the competition itself was uh, very special to me. Uh, since then, I mean, also before, but since then, the um, approach to chamber music or to my quintet has changed, but uh, it got one of my most important things in my musical career, which I want to continue. Could you, I'd love to hear you expand on that. I'm intrigued about the approach to rehearsing such intense repertoire as a group. (laughs) I'm, uh, I don't know. I'm the one who is talking a lot in the rehearsal and I hate myself during the rehearsal because I'm talking too much. Uh, (laughs) Sometimes I wish other people could say more and because I hate if the room is getting silent when I'm talking. (laughs) So this interview experience is fantastic for you, right? (laughs) No, 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 no. But I'm talking about the the rehearsal when I'm the only, only person speaking Mm -hmm. or, or criticizing something. 
makes me feel very bad. But it's chamber music rehearsal is always more about um, giving up something because I cannot push everything. And I've learned a lot to give up some ideas I actually wanted to try. I mean, we could try, but I thought this must be balanced. It's more a work for me to control myself, to be respectful after years of playing together, that the ideas of the others are also fantastic. I love that idea. I love that idea that chamber music is about giving things up mm. to the other people in your group. That is such a generous idea. Yeah, but actually I'm also gaining a lot of their ideas. I'm learning a lot new styles I've never tried when I would have felt alone all my my in my life. So I am constantly learning through chamber music. Of course, I'm giving up my idea, but I, my idea I know because it's my idea. But the others, um, they have their their own fantastic colors and yeah, stories, and it's so nice to learn about the others. So it's not really giving up; it's more gaining other ideas. Ria, what is your advice for a young musician who aspires to have a career like yours? Be open open to everything. I was quite shy trying um, Baroque music in the beginning or also too shy to listen to jazz music or to pop music. I was very, just too shy and not open enough to try to steal some ideas from the others which you find beautiful. Try to make it yourself sounding like them because the more you meet fantastic people, the more you get also fantastic, you become fantastic. So the question is, are you able to find the special speciality of each person? Are you able to get them? Are you able to deal with, it's a question of uh, how open I am. So this openness makes one person very special. This was absolutely wonderful. (laughs) Ria Koyama, thank you so much. Thank you, too. (laughs) You are so brilliant, and we are absolutely grateful and thrilled that you were willing to spend some time with us today and share your brilliant ideas with us and our listeners. Thank you for the interview. Thank you for hanging out with us for this episode. Don't forget to follow us on social media so you can be on top of our spooky giveaway announcement and make sure to participate. And you'll know whenever we have a new episode coming out so you won't miss a single one. Speaking of, Galit, who's coming up on the next episode? (laughs) Next, we have the ever-lovely Carolyn Hove, solo English horn player with the Los Angeles Philharmonic. Jackie, we gotta end this spooky nerd parade. Go make spooky reads. All my reads are spooky right now. (laughs) 